There are some men who aren't overly concerned about how they dress or appear. And there's other men who take great care in that area. But they are all men. And no matter how they may express their masculinity, if their chromosomal arrangement of position 23 is XY, they are a male. And listen, lipstick, a dress, and hormone injections aren't going to do anything to change your chromosomal arrangement. And it doesn't do a very good job at hiding it either. Now, while it is true that all dads are men, it's also true that all not all men are dads. And as I was telling the men again at the men's koinonia, when we get married or even become a dad, there's not something additional that is added to us. We come prepared for manhood. We are completely uh, genetically designed to be a man and fulfill our role as a husband or, if God would allow, as a dad. Now, that tells us that whatever manhood may look like in our own lives, whether it be we're a single guy, a married man without children, or a father of children, the fact is, this is a Father's Day message to all men. And what I want to talk to you about tonight, or this morning rather, is... The man of the house, and that's the title of our message this morning. The man of the house. Now, you might be the only man in your house, but you're still the man in the house. You might be the husband of a wife, but you're still the man of the house, even if you don't have children. And what we're going to find are three very important truths that remind us of what it means to be a man in times where thinking about manhood and masculinity is changing and things are changing about all things that have been hard and fast for millennia, but they are actually things that cannot be changed, like being a man. Now, our resource this morning is going to be the book of Proverbs. It is one of the wisdom books within the Tanakh or the Old Testament, along with Job, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. And the primary purpose of the book of Proverbs is to teach wisdom, not just to the young and in experience, but also to the learned. And Proverbs even personifies wisdom as the idealistic woman or the pursuit, so to speak. Now, it also provides incredibly divinely inspired insights and wisdom on how to live a peaceful and happy life by honoring and respecting the all-powerful and all-knowing God. Now, the basic guiding principles throughout a study of the book of Proverbs are found in Proverbs 3, 5, where we're told to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. And also the secondary principle, or second principle, I should say, is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. Now, the book of Proverbs, like the Psalms, has multiple contributors, and their collection began during the time of Solomon prior to the Babylonian exile. And Solomon was legendary in his wisdom. He had asked of the Lord for wisdom to govern God's people. And the Lord said, because you have not asked for length of days or riches, I'm going to add those to your blessings in life, but I'm going to give you the wisdom you have sought. And we're told also that this collection was put together by King Hezekiah, who reigned from 715 to 687 BC. And he is the one who took this collection of authors, including a man named Agur and also Lemuel, uh, who was the inspiration behind Proverbs 31, that famous chapter. And again, there's also unknown authors who contributed to this composite work collected over time. 
Now, the book is a book of advice. It's observations made by Solomon and others. It tells us things like avoiding the adulterous woman with her smooth words who has abandoned the companion of her youth in chapter 2, verses 16 to 17. It tells us how to conduct ourselves in life through counsel like the fool immediately shows his anger, but the shrewd man passes over an insult. We find that in Proverbs twelve sixteen. It gives us observations like, just as one face differs from another, so does one human heart from another in Proverbs twenty seven nineteen. So it's a book of wisdom. It's a book of counsel. It's a book of advice. It is a book that Jesus quoted from and the apostles as well in John seven thirty eight, Romans twelve twenty, and James four six. So our course this morning are the words of a wise man and what he wrote down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as to how to live as the man of the house. Are you ready? Stand and read with me, please. Proverbs chapter 20. We'll look at verses 1 through 7. 7 being our PowerPoint verse and word for the year. Verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. The wrath of a king is like the roaring of a lion. Whoever provokes him to anger sins against his own life. It is honorable for a man to stop striving, since any fool can start a quarrel. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. Counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. And Lord, I thank you for so many godly men who call this their church home, who seek to be the man of the house, the man who pursues you, the man who lives in his integrity or walks in his integrity, as we see in our verse this morning. We pray, God, that you would not only enlighten us and encourage us and strengthen us, but God, that you would equip us for the role that you have called us to and given us uh, gifts as well as our genetic predispositions to fulfill our roles in the home and life. Help us to see these things more clearly. Through this book of wisdom, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, the first thing I want you to take note of is our title really carries with it two implications. And the first is that we're ta- the man we're talking about is God's man or a godly man. And the house we're considering is God's house. Now, I mean, I don't mean the church or the church building, but rather the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is our individual bodies, both male and female, obviously. But this morning, our focus is on the man. And what we're going to examine today breaks down into three different categories. Today, we're going to look at the actions, the understanding, and the influence of the man of the house, a man filled with the spirit, a godly man. Now, verse 1 reveals to us the effects of wine and strong drink when we're told about its impact on those led astray by it. It says it leads to mockery. That word means to talk arrogantly. It talks about being a brawler, which simply means to wage war physically or wars of words. The Proverbs go into greater detail on this this particular subject in chapter 23, where we find these words and this wisdom. 
In 23, 29 to 35, we're asked the questions, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions or arguments? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and it, and it stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies at the top of the mast saying, They have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? Listen. I bear witness this morning that this testimony is true about too much drink and what it can do in your life. Listen, it is unwise to be a man controlled by drink or drugs. It is unwise according to the word of God. And the fact is your eyes are going to see strange things and your heart, which is the source of your words, is going to utter perverse things. Remember, perverse means to be the opposite or become the opposite. So you will say things that are opposite of what is actually true. As a matter of fact, one who lingers long at wine is referred to as a wine tattler. Wine loosens the lips. Drugs loosen the lips. It causes us to think irrationally, see things differently, say things the opposite of the truth. We also read of the godly man's actions in verse 2 where his citizenry is addressed. And he's not only, uh, he is not one rather, who stirs up the authorities against himself. And we find this reiterated in Romans chapter 13, 1 to 5, where Paul says, Let every soul, say every soul, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, therefore, excuse me, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on who? Themselves, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Listen, God's man is a good citizen. His actions don't leave him living in fear of the authorities. Now, we've got a lot to cover this morning, so we're moving quickly. We also see in verse 3 that he's not a man who is foolish with his words. And again, reiteration in the New Testament through the book of James 3, 4 to 10. James says, look also at the ships, although they are so large and driven by the fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest uh, little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and that and it is set on fire by what? Hell. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, and that's just the way it's going to be. What's it say? My brethren, these things ought not to be so. 
Proverbs 29, 22 would add, an angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. Listen, the man of the house is not an anger-driven fool and is in control of his words. And the word striving in Proverbs mean controversy or stirring up strife. It's a foolish man or woman who does this type of thing, stirring up controversies that cause strife. And the fourth consideration of the actions of the man of the house is he's not a lazy man. He leaves himself, does not leave himself or his family without provision. And again, in the New Testament, we have this also reiterated in 1 Timothy 5.8. If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now listen, the man of the house who himself is a house of God or the temple of the Holy Spirit is not led astray by intoxicating things. He's not a man who lives in fear of the authorities. Nor is he a contentious man, always causing strife with his words. Nor is he a lazy man, failing to provide what is necessary for himself or his family. In summary, here's the first thing we could say about the man of the house, a man who is God's man. Listen, the man of the house is a man of self-control who walks in the power of the Holy Spirit. The man of the house is a man of self-control who walks in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the great part about this, men, listen this morning. Are you still here, guys? Listen this morning. With all of our distinction between us as men, our personal taste, our personal likes and dislikes that differ one to another, our individual strengths and weaknesses in contrast to each other, no matter what form it may mean, be it a single man, a husband, or a father, we can all be the man of the house. A man of self-control who walks in the power of the Holy Spirit. One, not controlled by external forces, but empowered by the internal force of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. These are the actions of the man of the house. Now, let's look at his understanding. Look at verses 5 and 6 once again. Counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Now, the word translated as understanding in our text is the same word used elsewhere as intelligence or insight. And what we're told, even though what verse 5 says, counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water. It's hard to fish things out is what's being implied. A man of insight and intelligence draws on the counsel he received. And that counsel comes from the word of God for God's man and other godly men. And we can see this illustrated in verse 6 where we're reminded of what's still true today. The tendency of many men today to self-promote. But among uh, the faithful... This man draws on the counsel of God and realizes that he's not good, for there is none good, no, not one. What is good within us is the presence of God. Amen? Amen. Now, Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good what? Understanding, good insight, or good intelligence have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Now, I heard of a man who had been married for some years. He had a co-worker who had recently got married, and he gave him a bit of advice. He said, listen, just forget all your mistakes. There's no point in two people remembering them. (laughs) 
Now, actually, the man who is God's house learns from his mistakes. He remembers them. He corrects what led to them. And he draws from the wisdom of God's word to overcome them and not repeat them. The man of the house obviously here is implied as being a humble man. And many in our day, many men are quick to build themselves up. But a faithful man is distinguished from that practice in our two verses. Proverbs would later say in 27.2, Let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Now, I know this is going to shock some of you this morning, but I like football. If you've ever been here for any length of time, you know that I am a football fan. There's no question about it. But there's always been a group that I have looked at with a bit of admiration. And I call them, at least in my mind, the quiet killers. That's how I like to think of these guys. Running backs like Marshall Falk or Terrell Davis or Eric Dickerson. They would run over linebackers and defensive backs like they weren't even there. And when they were finally brought down, just walk quietly back to the huddle. I like that. It made testosterone ooze out of my pores. I like that kind of player. I like linebackers who make a highlight reel type of hit and then do the same thing. They help the runner up or a defensive end who uh, lays a crushing blow, not to the point of hurting them on a quarterback, but there's no celebration dance on the way back to the huddle. They just walk back having done their job. Now, there might be other players who are as good or even better, but their antics cloud their efforts, at least in my mind. And that is why humility is such a wonderful thing, especially to see in a man who has been empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And the godly man, listen, the godly man isn't searching for pats on the back or high fives. He gives them out. He is encouraging other people. And Proverbs 1, 5 to 7 says, A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel to understand a proverb and an enigma. The words of the wise and the riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise what? Wisdom and instruction. Now, listen, men. As a man of God, you have a distinct advantage over every other man on the surface of the earth. And that is because you have a direct connection to one who knows everything. Now, there are men who think they know everything, but they actually don't. Have you ever had a know-it-all in your life? They're such a blessing, aren't they? But listen, there is one who knows it all. And he's not a man. He doesn't lie. He isn't proud and puffed up like many are today. And his son, the God-man, has come into the world as a model as to how you and I are to live. But there are many men today who are settling for inferior wisdom instead of looking to the wisdom of the word and an understanding that yields wonderful things in life instead of the bad reputation that the know-it-alls carry in the world today. Now, here's our advantage, men. In 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16, we're told the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. 
For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Read the last sentence out loud with me, please. But we have the mind of Christ. Listen, the man of God, who is the temple of the Holy Spirit, has an advantage that allows him to understand Proverbs and enigmas. Enigmas meaning mysteries. And what that translates into our second point of observation is simply this. Listen, the man of the house is guided by spiritual discernment and divine wisdom. The man of the house is guided by spiritual discernment and divine wisdom. Paul just told us through his first letter to the church at Corinth that this is something that is exclusive to those who have been born again and are therefore indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But we also need to add that there is a continual connection in Scripture with humility and divine blessing. The humble man is a wise man. The humble man is a discerning man. The humble man is a man who can deal with this life's know-it-alls and not need the praise they need so badly that they will proclaim their own goodness. After all, Proverbs 29.23 says, A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. And James adds this in 4.6, But he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists who? The proud, but gives grace to who? The humble. Listen, God honors the humble with things like wisdom that is from above, that is first pure. God honors the humble with discernment because we have the mind of Christ as born-again Christians. What an advantage we have in life as men who are filled with the Holy Spirit and as the man of the house, home to the Spirit and all the gifts and fruits associated with doing so. Let me tell you what that looks like in life through the scripture. In Romans 12, 14 to 21, we're told, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. You can check that off the list. We always do that. (laughs) Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in what? Your own opinion, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, which it is not always, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Remember, blessed are the peacemakers, according to Jesus. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says who? The Lord, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, that's too bad. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head, which is what we wanted to do anyway. (laughs) Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The men of the world say, living like that makes no sense whatsoever. You'll never be successful if you live like that. You have to look out for number one. You have to climb the ladder of success, even if it means climbing over others. Because the end justifies the means. The man of God says, it makes perfect sense because it pleases God. And everything I do is to be done as unto him. And to be done heartily, for he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, 
Paul would add in 1 Corinthians 3, 2 to 3, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able, for you are still what? Carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal? And here's why I wanted to include this, behaving like what? Mere men. I quote this every Father's Day because it needs to be quoted and we need to reminder. As a man who is a temple of the Holy Spirit, you are not carnal. You are no longer a mere man. You're God's man. You are empowered by his spirit. You are a man of spiritual discernment and divine wisdom who has been given the mind of Christ. There's nothing toxic about you. You are a man fashioned in the image and likeness of God. Now, we've seen the man who is God's house's actions, and we have now seen his understanding. Let's close this morning with his influence. Look at verse 7, and this is our verse for the month that contains our word for the year. Blessed, meaning how happy. The righteous man walks in his integrity, And his children are blessed after him. Now, I think we all recognize that walk is a metaphor for how you live your life. Now, we also need to remember, I like to describe salvation as a moment of confession followed by a lifetime of conversion. He who begins a good work in us completes it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is always working on us. Amen? God is always working on us. Us, all of us. And therefore, it is not simply a purchase of fire insurance and then go on with your life however you please. When we ask Christ to be our Savior, submit to Him as our Lord, there are a set of principles by which He desires for us to live and they are contained in the Word of God. But it's not just a list of impossible instructions that we're unable to fulfill. He also gives us the ability to live according to His Word by giving us His Spirit as a guarantee of our future inheritance. Now it looks like this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says, I beseech you therefore... Brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your what? Your bodies, a living sacrifice. And then he describes what that looks like. It's holy. It's acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, this is further described as do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, resulting in proving what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, the work that begins with confessing Christ as Savior and Lord is going to be followed by a life of proving his good, acceptable, and perfect will. And this transformation begins by a renewed or renovated mind. Now, the word renewed means a complete change for the better. Men, aren't you glad that when we got saved, God changed our thinking? Five of you are glad. Ladies, aren't you glad that when your husband got saved, God changed his thinking? Yeah, Yeah, see, there we go. Now, this is what he does. He transforms how we think into a better way of thinking, a higher level of intelligence. And when we come to Christ and become a temple of the Holy Spirit, begin to live as a man of the house, a complete change in our thinking is going to manifest itself in life and habit changes for the better. Listen, when I came back to the Lord after living a decade as a prodigal, 
He changed all kinds of things in me. And the work that he had begun, he continued. And some of those things he accelerated rather quickly and radically. Other things took more time. And he is still working on me to this very day. I'll probably leave that part out during second service when Terry is here. but Because I don't want her to yell amen from the front row mainly. But it's true. He's still working on me. But listen, other people are going to benefit from those changes of thought processes. Other people are going to benefit from the transformation in our lives that is visible to others that manifests itself in proving what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God in an outward way that when others see our good works, they glorify our Father in heaven. And the first to be impacted is going to be the people in the closest proximity, including our families and our children. Now, Psalm 1, 1 to 3 tells us, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. These are directives as to how to live a blessed life. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, a metaphor for the word of God. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Here's the end result. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Now, the man who does not walk, sit, or stand, walk, stand, or sit, there's a digression there, in the counsel and ways that are contrary to those of God, is likened unto a fruit-bearing tree that has a constant supply of water, like a tree planted by rivers of waters. Now, the implications of this are often overlooked when the psalm is taught, or they are at the very least left unaddressed. But we need to recognize that bearing fruit is synonymous with being a blessing to others and a blessing as unto the Lord. And the rivers of water imply a constancy of fruit-bearing. Now, The man of the house, who is a man of the word, is going to be a man of influence and blessing. Beginning with, as I said, those closest to him. His spouse and children, if he has them. His neighbors, certainly. Co-workers, too. A man who is like a tree planted by a river of water is a constantly fruit-bearing man. What are the fruits that we're talking about here this morning? Galatians 5, 22 to 25 reminds us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another envying one another. Listen, a man who displays the fruits of the Spirit is going to be a man of great influence. He will not repel others through through self-promotion or conceit. He will not provoke others as a know-it-all. He will be a man of self-control and thus an influence and blessing on others. You see, the truth is, the world has it all wrong about men. Because they're using the wrong unit of measure. They are measuring against men 
who aren't living up to being the man of the house or a man in life. They're using as a unit of measure men who are not filled with the Holy Spirit, men who have no self-control, men who are self-promoters, men who are exploiters of women. That's not the unit of measure as to what it means to be a man. God's man is the unit of measure as to what it means to be a man. I couldn't help but think of the story of a man back in the day when this was a common practice. He brought his boss home for dinner, much to his wife's surprise and chagrin. And as she was scurrying around, getting everything ready, setting the table, the boss sat at home, or sat at the table rather, barking orders, being rude to this little boy's dad, being rude to this little boy's mom. And everything this guy said, every move he made, that little boy never took his eyes off of his dad's boss and just watched him constantly. And finally, the boss man couldn't take it any longer. He said, son, why do you keep staring at me like that? And the boy said, well, my dad said you're a self-made man. He shut up. He said, that's right, I am. The boy says, then why'd you make yourself like that? (laughs) That's not what's said to God's man. What's said to God's man is I want to be more like that. I want to be more like who you are. I want to be more like that that you represent all that you hold sacred. Listen, men of self-control and divine power, you men guided by spiritual discernment and divine wisdom, let let me remind you of how we have the influence of being such a man. And here's our final concluding point this morning. Listen, the man of the house strives to be a blessing, not just obtain them. The man of the house strives to be a blessing, not just obtain them. Now listen, God is not anti-wealth. He is not anti-money. And many people often misquote First Timothy saying that uh, money is the root of all evil. The Bible says no such thing. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And many have pierced themselves through with many sorrows for having a love for it. The Bible says in the Proverbs that a rich man or wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. God blessed Abraham greatly. God blessed David greatly. God blessed Solomon greatly in the material realm. But it was God's decision And he chooses to bless in that regard. And we need to be satisfied with that which he has given us in that particular realm. And we live in a day where facts have become uh, irrelevant. And the truth is, the church is always being accused of being unscientific or anti-science or anti-intelligentsia or even anti-education. Well, listen, you can't get a better education as it applies to life than studying and living the Word of God. Amen? Now listen, this morning, we're not unscientific because science says you can't choose your gender. Science says you can't change your gender. Those are genetic, biological, and physical predeterminations, and they are unchangeable. Now, you may not like your gender. You may even wish you were the other gender. But you can't change your gender, and it's unscientific to do so, yet it's promoted all around our country and world today. Now listen, here's another denied fact today. You cannot replace the role of dad with two moms. And vice versa. Now I want you to think about something. We've all heard of that wonderful Proverbs 31 woman. 
Now, I challenged the men, and I hope they all did it, who were at the men's koinonia the other day, that they read Proverbs 31, because it's often overlooked that this is counsel given by the queen mother to her son, King Lemuel, as to what he is to look for in a wife. It's not just a target for women to live up to. It is a subscription for men to subscribe to when they're searching for a woman to call their wife. Now, it was instructions given to men. Now, we're told in Proverbs 31, 28, her children, this virtuous woman, this Proverbs 31 woman, rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also praises her. Yet we're told here, in contrast, the righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. Now, her children call her blessed. The godly man's children are blessed by the actions of their father. And that is the influence of being a man of God. Well, it's certainly true that a virtuous and godly woman is a woman of influence, and she is a blessing to others as well. Amen, ladies? But it's also true that the influence of being a godly man is what's highlighted for us here and is exclusive to faithful men. Any man can leave a financial inheritance. Only God's man can leave behind a blessing. And they strive to be a blessing, not just obtain them. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. We are to provide for our own households. But those after them, their descendants, their direct relatives, those who come in contact with them, those who are in close proximity to them are blessed by coming in contact with them. Listen, men, it's an honor to be called a man of God. It is the highest honor in life to be called a man of God. It is above being the president of the company, a starter on an NFL team, a a pitcher in the uh, World Series. It's better than any of those things. It is better than being the richest man on earth. The highest honor that you hold is being called a man of God. And we should treat it like the highest honor ever received in life. And listen, that's true if you're single. It's true if you're married. It's true if you're a father, grandfather, or great-grandfather. You are destined and front-loaded to be the man of the house. A man of influence who does not seek only what he can get, but he strives to be a man who can give out of that which he has received. Now, this is a man of whom others are going to say, that's a good man because he's God's man. He's self-controlled, not flesh-controlled. He understands mysteries and even solves enigmas because he has a man of Christ. Or he is a man of Christ. He's a man of influence. And he uses his influence to draw others to God. Listen, men, you're not toxic. You're filled with the spirit of the true and living God. Your destiny is to be the man of the house no matter what. House may mean to you as an individual man. This is what it means to be a man. And I remember there was a time, I've shared this story before, years ago, I was working for a man uh, who owned a large company up north, and he had hired me to run a satellite uh, plant here in Southern California, which I did. He found out very quickly in our first interview that I was a Christian Uh, He had a great disdain for Christians. And uh, one morning as I arrived at my office, uh, my phone was ringing and I picked up the phone and I heard a string of profanity like I hadn't heard 
since my bar hopping days. And it was my boss and he was screaming and he was cussing and he was calling me every name under the sun. And I said, what in the world is all this about? He said, it's about you stinking Christian men. But he didn't say stinking. He said, I'm driving to work today and I see some clown in a truck who has a sticker on the window that says, real men love Jesus. That's not what a real man is. Oh, yes, it is. Listen, I've always found it interesting. Revelation 21.8 says, the first person cast into the lake of fire is the coward. Listen, any coward can go to hell. It takes a real man to live for heaven while on earth. And that's what we're talking about today. So men, stand up with the highest honor that's ever been bestowed on any human being. And that is to be called a child of God. And don't let the world take from you what God has given you. Be the man of the house. Let me hear some male testosterone. Yeah, there we go. Now we're talking. Amen. Pray with me, please. Father, we are so thankful that you have created us and given us our responsibilities and equipped us genetically and biologically to fulfill those roles. And Lord, help us in these days where everything rational is being challenged, ignored, or disparaged to remember that we're your men. We're, if we're married, husbands that are meant to be like a tree planted by rivers of water to our wife or our children are to be blessed after us as we studied today. Help us to remember what you have done in us, given to us, created us with, and then empowered us to do when your spirit took up residence in our lives and we became your house. Help us, Lord, to get up if we've fallen down. Help us to stay up if we've fallen and gotten up. Help us, Lord, to do what we do in every other aspect of life, to pursue you, our ultimate goal, with great vigor and with all of the commitment that we have towards other things in life. Help us, Lord, as we hear men in this room this morning saying praise the Lord or hallelujah with the depth of a male voice and strength and unashamedness. Help us to do that when we're outside the room not just inside the room. Help us to be real men, your men, men who love Jesus, men who are not ashamed of the gospel. I thank you that I stand here today in good company of real men, your men, men of the house. Bless them today as they celebrate manhood and those who are celebrating fatherhood today. I pray it's a wonderful day that begins with being reminded of who they are in you. Thank you. You've given us the mind of Christ to make decisions in a world that is against you and understand enigmas and mysteries in a way that no other man but a man that knows you has the ability to do. Thank you for blessing us so greatly. Help us now to go and be a blessing to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's men said, Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Have an awesome day, fathers and men today. And uh, would you all... Stand. Did I mention I'm having boysenberry pie later today? I didn't know if I brought that up, but God bless you guys.